0: Amen. Well, I have to tell you, I'm really not excited about introducing our speaker this morning for chapel. Uh, he's really the least favorite preacher that I like to listen to, and uh, I really don't enjoy listening to this preacher, uh, but yet we need to endure it this morning. And I will tell you, this preacher always brings something that I need to hear, however, and so take your Bibles and turn to Jeremiah. Uh, Chapter 24, Jeremiah chapter 24. Now, I'm excited about this passage uh, this morning, and we're going to be in numerous passages this morning. Jeremiah chapter 24 is going to be more of a launching point. Uh, But I hope that you've brought your thinking caps this morning. I hope that you're willing to uh, turn a lot of pages in your Bible this morning because the book of Jeremiah is laid out in a different uh, form than most biblical books. The book of Jeremiah is not chronological, Uh, in order. And so as you read through the book of Jeremiah, perhaps in your devotions, sometimes it can get a little confusing on what is actually happening here in these final days of the nation of Judah. And so I'd like to take this morning some time and research out this story of Jeremiah and the King Zedekiah. And so we're going to be going forward in the book of Jeremiah. We're going to be going backwards, but we're going to follow the chronology here to understand what God is doing in the heart of this man, Zedekiah. So Jeremiah chapter 24 and verse number 1 is where we'll begin. The Lord showed me, and behold, two baskets of figs were set before the temple of the Lord. After that, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the princes of Judah with the carpenters and smiths from Jerusalem, and had brought them to Babylon." One basket had very good figs, even like the figs that are first ripe, and the other basket had very naughty figs, which could not be eaten, they were so bad. Then said the Lord unto me, what seest thou, Jeremiah? And I said, figs, the good figs, very good, and the evil, very evil, that cannot be eaten, they are so evil. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carried away captive of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place unto the land of the Chaldeans for their good. For I will set mine eyes upon them for good and I will bring them again into this land and I will build them and, and not pull them down and I will plant them and not pluck them up. And I will give them an heart to know me that I am the Lord and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. And as the evil figs, which cannot be eaten, they are so evil, surely thus saith the Lord, so will I give Zedekiah, the king of Judah and his princes and the residue of Jerusalem that remain in this land and them that dwell in the land of Egypt. And I will deliver them to be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth for their hurt to be a reproach and a proverb, a taunt and a curse in all places whither I shall drive them. And I will send the sword, the famine and the pestilence among them till they be consumed from off the land that I gave unto them and to their fathers. Now, personally, I really don't have a taste for figs. How many of you guys really like figs? Any any weird people here? Okay, very good. Some of you guys may like figs. I'm not really big into figs, but there is one version of figs that I actually do enjoy. They are called fig newtons. Now, these are amazing okay I could just eat these all day and uh, just to celebrate talking about figs this morning in chapel on your way out you will receive some fig Newton's to remind you of what you hear from God's word this morning so uh, you you can ask your teacher if you can eat them in third hour I don't know if they'll let you or not but I want you to be able to experience this truth firsthand you see as I researched figs I realized very quickly that figs were a uh, kind of an inverted flower you see there were inedible figs and there were edible figs now as Jeremiah writes this the people would have no doubt known some of this uh, background information they lived in an agricultural society they would have known uh, what was a good fig and what was a bad fig but if you haven't grown up on a farm you might need to research this out a little bit as was my Case And so I realized very quickly that the difference between a bad fig and a good fig was whether that fig was pollinated by what is called a fig wasp. Now the larva of a fig wasp lives inside of a bad fig. And farmers to this day, even in California, will purchase bad figs with the larva inside and they will hang them over the branches of their tree so that the larva and these wasps will come out of those figs and they will pollinate what could be a good fig. So when you are eating these fig newtons after chapel, you are literally eating a fruit that ate a wasp. So this wasp will pollinate inside of these figs and uh, they will become edible and then the wasp will die inside of the fig and the fig will digest uh, that wasp and, uh, and literally eat that wasp. Now, if the fig does not receive the pollen from the wasp, it will fall off the branch and it will spoil there in the field. In Jeremiah chapter 24, we meet a man named Zedekiah who is called a bad fig. He has become spoiled, he has become unappealing, and he has become disgusting in the sight of God. Now Zedekiah was born with a different name. His name originally as he was born into the family of Josiah. He was named Mataniah, which literally means gift or hope of the Lord. Mattaniah was crowned king of the nation of Judah by Nebuchadnezzar as a puppet king at the age of 21. So if you are 21 years old in here and you're getting ready to graduate college pretty soon, could you imagine your first job being king of an entire nation? Zedekiah is 21 years old when he takes the crown. As a child, he had seen the success of his father Josiah, Josiah led the last great revival for the people of Judah. He would have grown up in this palace, he would have seen the success of his father Josiah, his brother is going to be killed by the Babylonians, his other brother is going to be exiled by the Babylonians, his nephew is going to be exiled by the Babylonians, and now he is going to be set up as a puppet king by Nebuchadnezzar and given the new name by the Babylonians of Zedekiah. Now his name means righteousness of Jehovah. Now, as you read through Jeremiah and you read through some of these stories that we're going to look at this morning, you don't really get the sense that Zedekiah is really a bad guy you don't really get the sense that he is a wicked, evil king. When we think of evil kings, we think of maybe a guy like Ahab and and a queen like Jezebel, or maybe King Ahaz, or maybe King Manasseh, all of these evil kings who did wickedly in the sight of the Lord. When you read through the account of Zedekiah, you really don't get the sense that he is a bad guy. And yet, in Jeremiah 24, he is called an evil fig, and he is literally, called a evil uh, in four books of the Bible. Jeremiah 42 or 52 verse 2, he says, and did that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Second Kings 24, 19, he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Second Chronicles 36, 12, he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, his God and humbled not himself before Jeremiah, the prophet speaking from the mouth of the Lord. Ezekiel gets really descriptive here and calls him a profane, wicked prince of Israel. Israel, whose day is come, whose iniquity shall have an end. Now why is Zedekiah called evil? Why is he called a bad fig? When you read through his account, Zedekiah used a lot of religious language. Zedekiah approached Jeremiah asking God for wisdom, asking Jeremiah to pray for him. He he freed all of the slaves in Jerusalem. He did some really good things. And yet the Bible is clear that he is evil for one reason. He did not fully obey God. He would not receive the pollen of God's word fully and completely into his heart. So how does someone with a good name, someone who came from a good family, become spoiled? Let's follow very quickly. Zedekiah's three steps to falling off the tree. Now, as I said before, Jeremiah is not written chronologically. So we're going to be uh, going in all these different directions in the book of Jeremiah. So fasten your seatbelts. First, we're going to go to Jeremiah chapter 37. Jeremiah chapter 37. Jeremiah chapter 37 and 38 will give us a little bit of the background of what is happening. And all of these events are taking place right at the beginning of Zedekiah's reign. Zedekiah is placed on the throne in verse number one of chapter 37. And King Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, reigned instead of Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, who Nebuchadrezzar, king of Babylon, made king in the land of Judah. But neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land did hearken unto the words of the Lord, which he spake by the prophet Jeremiah. And Zedekiah, the king, sent Jehuchal, the son of Shallumiah and Zephaniah, the son of Messiah, the priest, to the prophet Jeremiah, saying, this is what he's saying, He's he just became king, he's sending messengers to the prophet Jeremiah, and he says, pray now unto the Lord our God for us. Now Zedekiah knew who Jeremiah was. Jeremiah has already preached about half of his book that you can read in the Word of God. He's already preached these sermons. He's very, very clear under the reign of Zedekiah's brothers of what is going to happen in Judah if they do not repent of their sin. He knows Jeremiah. Jeremiah would have been friends with his father, Josiah. Jeremiah had already preached much of his book already. And so Zedekiah now becomes king and he sends two messengers. He sends a guy named Zephaniah. This is not the Zephaniah the prophet that we read in his book later on, but this is Zephaniah. He is like the second in command priest of Judah. He sends Zephaniah and Zephaniah is a friend of Jeremiah. Jeremiah has worked with him in the past for different reforms in Judah. And so this is a friend of Jeremiah, but then he also sends Jehuchal, uh who later on we're going to see is going to try to kill Jeremiah, So you have on one side, the friend of Jeremiah coming, and then you have on the other side, this guy who hates Jeremiah completely. And they come to Jeremiah and they say, in verse number three, uh, they ask him if they would give him a word from God. Pray now unto the Lord our God for us. Look at Jeremiah's response in verse number nine. Thus saith the Lord, deceive not yourselves, saying, the Chaldeans shall surely depart from us, for they shall not depart. What is Jeremiah saying? He's saying, Zedekiah, you think that if you use this religious language, you think that if you are going to uh, be reigning as king, that you can come to me and ask me for a request. He says, deceive not yourself. You know the message. You know what I've been preaching. You know what God has been saying to you and to your brothers. Don't deceive yourselves that you think that somehow you're going to get out of this situation by yourself. You see, the first reason that Zedekiah becomes spoiled is that his ears spoil his call. His ears spoiled his call. He is calling, but not listening. He's asking God, but he's not obeying. He's calling for God to work in his life, but he is not listening to the clear commands of Scripture. He has already heard Jeremiah's message. He has seen his brothers punished for disobeying God and not listening to God's command. And yet he has the goal to come to Jeremiah and ask for prayer to do something that is against God's will. In James chapter 4 verse number 2, James says, Ye have not because ye ask not. But a lot of times we leave out the next verse, verse number 3. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your your lust. Student, if you are experiencing a powerless prayer life, you might want to reassess if you're listening to God. If, you, if it seems like God is not hearing your prayers, then you might need to ask yourself, am I hearing God? Am I listening to him? Are my ears listening to his word and listening to his counsel? Are my ears completely soaked in the word of God? You see, Zedekiah's plan is noble. His intentions are probably very good. He wants to free his countrymen from out of the power of these evil pagans who hate God, but that is not God's Plan. And James says the reason that you're not receiving answers to your prayers is because you are not praying God's will. It might seem really good, it might seem really spiritual, but you are not praying God's will because you are consuming upon your own lust. It's just like someone, an employee, who comes to his boss after completely ignoring every email and every text message and every task that his boss gives him and asking for a raise. It's like the teenager who uh, is completely rebelling against his parents and yet he comes and asks for a car. It's like the child who's throwing a fit in the middle of the store and expects to get ice cream out of it. It's like a thug who's disrespecting a cop and asks for leniency. It's like a student who is missing assignments and then asking for extra credit. All of these different scenarios that do not make sense, and yet that is what we do to God so often. We think that God is is entitled to hear our prayers, but we need to make sure first that we are listening to God. Maybe your prayer life is powerless, and it seems like God is not listening, but are you listening to God? Let's continue through the story. Chapter 37, verse number 16. So this is what happens, Jeremiah tries to leave Jerusalem, he starts to realize that this is not going well for him. He gets caught at customs and he's arrested and thrown into a dungeon. Zedekiah now is going to secretly bring Jeremiah to the palace. Look at verse number 16. When Jeremiah was entered into the dungeon and into the cabins and Jeremiah had remained there many days, then Zedekiah the king sent and took him out. And the king asked him secretly in his house and said, is there any word from the Lord? And Jeremiah said, there is. For said he, thou shalt be delivered unto the hand of the king of Babylon. So here we have again Zedekiah asking Jeremiah, is there a word from God? Do you have anything for me? And can you imagine Jeremiah standing there after spending a few nights in a dungeon, standing before the king? He says, yeah, there is. There's a word from God. Have you not been listening? have you not been paying attention? This is the word of God that you are going to be delivered into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Now we've heard a lot of times people say there is no such thing as a dumb question. Have you ever heard someone say that? Or maybe your teacher in high school said the only dumb question is the one that remains unasked. Or maybe a question, is the heart crying out for the soul? Some of those things might be true, but how many of you realize that Zedekiah was asking a dumb question? He, He was coming to Jeremiah and almost disrespecting Jeremiah and saying, do you have anything from God for me? Jeremiah says, yeah, I do. There is something from God. You need to pay attention to it. It's almost as if he thinks that all of the preaching that he has heard does not apply to him. He needs something special from God. All of the preaching, all of the teaching, everything that has been given to him from God himself, Zedekiah thinks that I need something special. And student, The minute that you start thinking that every chapel message and every church service is just one after the other, and it's just general truth being given out, and it doesn't apply to me, that is the minute where you are going to begin backsliding just like Zedekiah did. Zedekiah thought that, oh yeah, Jeremiah, I heard the sermons, okay, I've heard all of this preaching, but do you have anything just for me? Jeremiah says, yeah, you need to pay attention to the preaching, Guys, be careful that you're thinking that, oh, I'm a Bible college student. Oh, he already turned to this passage. I already know what he's going to preach on. Oh, I, I've, I heard that last week. All of these thoughts that come into our mind No, we should have a tender, open heart to what God has for us and what God is delivering for us from this pulpit, this sacred desk. So first we see that his ears spoiled his call. But secondly, it goes a little deeper. Verse number 38, continuing the story, Zedekiah lets him out of the dungeon, puts him in the court of the prison, and in Jeremiah 32, 2 this tells us that this court of the prison was actually in the palace, so this is a nicer place than where he was before. Zedekiah puts him in this court of the prison in the palace, and in chapter 38, the princes are going to come in verse number four, and look what they say. Therefore the princes said unto the king, we beseech thee, let this man be put to death for thus he weakeneth the hands of the men of war that remain in this city and the hands of all the people and speaking such words unto them for this man seeketh not the welfare of this people but the hurt. They come to Zedekiah and they say, Zedekiah, could you please kill Jeremiah? What a request. Look at Zedekiah's response in verse number five. Then Zedekiah the king said, behold, he's in your hand, for the king is not he that can do anything against you. What? Zedekiah says, "Uh, yeah, do what you want. I can't do anything about it. I'm just the king. I I don't have power over you guys, and I'm just going to let you do whatever you want to to Jeremiah. What was the second spoiling his peers spoiled his concern. Did Zedekiah have concern for Jeremiah? I believe he did. He brings them multiple times to try to, to try to talk to him and try to get to know Jeremiah. And yet that concern is spoiled because of his peers. He is what the Bible calls a simple man. Proverbs one twenty two. how long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? Proverbs one thirty two. for the turning away of the simple shall slay them. Proverbs 22.3, a prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. So what happens to Jeremiah? The princes take Jeremiah out of the court of the prison and they send him and throw him into an empty well, a cistern. Now, we have a picture of what one of these cisterns would have looked like. They're still all throughout Jerusalem underground. Cisterns were very common in the Middle East where water was scarce. They would oftentimes be pear-shaped with a capstone at the top that would allow rainwater to drain down below and provide drinking water during droughts. Some were known to be over 40 feet deep. This was a tortuous place for Jeremiah. As he sunk in the mire... You could not sit down without sinking in the mud and the filth. There was no way to climb out of the slippery sides. The rain would drain down onto Jeremiah's head. It was filled with disgusting filth. And one of Jeremiah's friends comes to Zedekiah finally and says, Zedekiah, if you don't do something about it, Jeremiah is going to die from this filth and disease inside of the cistern. His name is Abedmelech. And Abedmelech comes to Zedekiah and says, Zedekiah, uh, you need to help him. And guess what Zedekiah does? He says, sure, go help him. Yeah, Abimelech gets all of these uh, bed sheets together Ties them together like you would see in a movie and, and, and drapes them down into the cistern And pulls Jeremiah up and rescues him out of this, this cistern And puts him back in the court of the prison Zedekiah on one side he's saying Oh yeah Jeremiah could you please tell me Do you have a word from God could you pray for me Oh princes oh yeah you guys are here Ah uh, Okay, um, yeah, you want to kill Jeremiah, go, go ahead. Oh, Abedmelech, hi, how's it going? Oh, you want to save Jeremiah? Sure, back and forth, back and forth. Zedekiah, it depends on who he's with, on what decision he's going to make. Student, it's very easy to be spiritual here in chapel. And it's very easy to be spiritual in the dorm when everyone is going the same direction. But if you don't have some grit inside of you that determines that it doesn't matter what my peers are doing. And it doesn't matter what my companions are saying. I will do what's right. I will not follow the crowd. I will stand for truth. Heaven knows what is coming around the corner here in our nation and coming around the corner here in our culture. We need a generation of students from West Coast Baptist College who will stand against it and say, I don't care what's popular. I don't care what the guy at work says I should do. I don't care what the world, the flesh, and the devil is trying to tempt me to do. I am going to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ in my generation. It doesn't matter who I'm with, I am going to do what's right. His peers spoiled any concern that he might have had in his heart. Students, if, if you sat through leadership conference last week and you didn't have a little bit of concern in your heart for the lost, then I would really try to reassess my salvation because those services were powerful. And yet, I believe the majority in this room have concern. But what are you allowing the crowd to do? determine that you do. When you get in the car on soul winning on Saturday morning, someone needs to be the guy to say, hey, maybe we should actually go to the map. Maybe we should actually knock on a door this time. Maybe we should talk to someone. Maybe we should share the gospel with a lost and dying world. Student, if you sat in those services and you were concerned, and I, I pray and hope that you were, then it should be showing in your life and in your actions from this point onward. And yet so many times our peers spoil our concern, but it gets worse. Lastly, look at verse number 38 and verse number 14. What happens next? It's it's not over for Jeremiah. It's not over for Zedekiah. This is when it really gets good. Verse number 14 then Zedekiah the king sent and took Jeremiah the prophet unto him, unto the third entry that is in the house of the Lord. And the king said unto Jeremiah, I will ask thee a thing, hide nothing from me. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, If I declare it unto thee, wilt thou not surely put me to death? And if I give thee counsel, wilt thou not hearken unto me? Jeremiah's figuring it out. Zedekiah, I keep giving you the same message and you're not listening. You keep coming back and asking me for more. You haven't even listened to the main message, man. You need to get with it. So what does Zedekiah say? So Zedekiah verse 16, the king swears secretly unto Jeremiah saying, As the Lord liveth that made us this soul, I will not put thee to death, neither will I give thee into the hand of these men that seek thy life. He uses religious language. He's insinuating, however, that Jeremiah is holding something back. But the promise that God gives to Zedekiah in verse number 17 is astounding. Look at verse number 17. Then said Jeremiah unto Zedekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel. If thou wilt assuredly go forth unto the king of Babylon's princes, Then thy soul shall live, and the city shall not be burned with fire, and thou shalt live and thine house. You know what this is? This is God's mercy. This is God's grace on a man who has not been listening to anything that God has been telling him. He's using religious language. He's insinuating that Jeremiah's holding something back. He thinks that the preaching of Jeremiah doesn't apply to him. And if I were God in this moment, I would be a little frustrated. I'd be done with this guy. I'd be ready to send in Nebuchadnezzar right now. And yet a promise that was not given to either of his brothers, and it was not given to his nephew. It was given to Zedekiah, if you will obey me, Then I will bless you. This is mercy. This is God calling to Zedekiah. This is God asking Zedekiah to receive life, to receive joy, to receive hope, to receive peace. God is saying, I have this out for you, Zedekiah. I have this blessing for you if you obey me. There are so many if then statements in the Bible. John 8:31, if ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Romans 8, 31, if God be for us, then who can be against us? Galatians 3, 1, if ye then be risen with Christ, then seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. 1 John 5, 12, he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God God hath not life. There are if then statements and there are these conditional promises all throughout the New Testament where God is reaching out with a stretched forth hand and saying, please, will you follow me? Will you obey me? You have no idea what I have for you. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which I have prepared for them that love me. God is saying I have such an amazing life for you. I have such blessing and peace and hope and joy that the world cannot give. And yet you will not obey. Look what Zedekiah says in verse number 19. What a promise. What a blessing. But look at verse number 19. And Zedekiah, the king sent unto Jeremiah, I am, what's the next word? Afraid. Thirdly, his fears spoiled his capability. His fears spoiled his capability. Zedekiah had the capability to see a revival in his generation. God says, if you would just go out to Babylon, I will take care of you. I will protect you through this. And yet Zedekiah says very honestly, very openly to Jeremiah in the court of the temple, I am afraid. But we have to finish the verse. What is he afraid of? Who is he afraid of? This is amazing to me. He does not say he's afraid of the princes. You know, the guys who were trying to kill Jeremiah. He doesn't say, I'm afraid of the princes. I'm afraid of the people here in Jerusalem. Guess who he says he's afraid of in verse 19. I am afraid of the Jews that are fallen to the Chaldeans, lest they deliver me into their hand and they mock me. Who is he afraid of? He's afraid of the Jews who have already left Jerusalem. Now, Jeremiah has been very clear throughout his book, uh, chapter 27, verse 17. Hearken not unto them, serve the king of Babylon and live. Wherefore, should the city be laid waste? These are the people who listened to Jeremiah and said, oh, God wants us to go to the Babylonians. Okay, I'm going to follow what God wants me to do. These are the good guys. These are the people right with God. And Zedekiah says, Jeremiah, I'm afraid not of the bad guys, not of the wicked culture, not of the princes and my peers. I'm afraid of the good guys. I'm afraid of what they are going to think of me. How many good decisions have been lost because of fear of the right people? Student. I know there are some of you who are struggling with besetting sins. Is You come to this altar, every chapel, and you ask God to deliver you, and you repent, and you have a sincere heart, but you've realized very quickly that if I don't talk to someone about this, then I, I, I'm just gonna keep falling into this over and over again. I probably need to get some counsel, and yet there's something inside of you that's saying, I'm afraid of what they're gonna think of me. I'm afraid of what my pastor's gonna, what what's my pastor gonna say? What, what are my parents gonna think? Some of you guys have a besetting sin and, you, and you're falling over and over and over again and the devil's getting the victory and you think you're getting away with it. But the devil's just waiting until you get out in ministry where he can bring some more people down with you. Why don't you get it right? Why don't you talk to someone who loves you? Are you afraid of what they're going to think? Zedekiah says, Jeremiah, I've been been living wrongly. I'm admitting that. But if I go out to the Babylonians and obey God, what are those guys going to think out there who already did it? There are some students in this room who know that God has called you to ministry, but you're afraid. You're paralyzed by your fear. I'm a senior. What is everyone going to think? I, what What are they going to say about me that I've been holding out for so long? Some of you guys need to get saved. And some of you think that if I go and get saved and get rebaptized, baptized then, then I'm gonna be the laughing stop of, stop of the campus. No, that's not true. We, you have a student body who loves you and who cares about you and who's gonna rejoice with you. Don't let the good people stop you from doing what God wants you to do. We could talk about so many different aspects of life. Some of you guys are so self-centered You're just consumed with yourself and you're consumed with how people think, what people think of you. If you can't get that taken care of right now, it's going to paralyze you in ministry. Zedekiah says, I'm literally the king of an entire nation, but I will not obey God because I'm afraid of what the good people are going to say. Student, what is it in your life that you've been holding back on? You've heard some of the most amazing preaching in in the entire world in the past week. You've heard some testimonies on video and, and behind this pulpit of men who have stood for God during unspeakable trials. You've been to practical sessions about how to reach your world for Jesus Christ. You've heard some amazing messages from this pulpit this semester. What else does God have to do? to convince you to do it. I'm afraid of what everyone's going to think. I'm fearful. Well, God's promise for Zedekiah does not continue throughout his whole life. It has a, a time activation on it. This is a promise for him right now. And Zedekiah does absolutely nothing. I, if you asked me a year ago if I ever had a near-death experience, I would have to honestly tell you no, until January of this year. And uh, I remember we were traveling for uh, the college, and we were up in Northern California, and it was our second church, and uh, we had just dr- left here this, that morning. We had stopped at a church on the way up there, preached that morning at a service, kept driving up north around Yosemite area, kept driving up there, did the preach the service that night. I mean, by the end of that day, I was absolutely exhausted. And we were staying in someone's home that night. So we got into this home and it was a kind of a pre-manufactured home. It, it, was, it was brand new. The family had just moved in a few months before, and it was just a, a, a beautiful new home that they had purchased and uh, they showed us the room and uh, me and the other guy in the group had two separate rooms and we, we, we got settled and we uh, fellowshiped with the family a little bit. And then finally we went to bed, Okay, which I was looking forward to. And so I lay down and it was about probably two in the morning. You know how when you're asleep and you start to hear something and your brain's trying to process what exactly is it? And I'm just laying there. I don't know how long I just laid there trying to process what was going on. I was so out of it. But eventually I realized that this was an alarm going off in my room. I was like, okay, well, this is not good. Uh, What do I do about this? I I didn't know if it was a fire alarm I didn't know if it was a carbon monoxide alarm But it was in the ceiling of my room Just going crazy And so eventually I'm lying there Trying to figure out what to do And the guy that we're staying with Bursts into my room Tears it out of the ceiling And then leaves I'm not really sure If that's how you deal with an alarm like that So I'm laying there again, and eventually, like, I I go out to the living room, and there they have all of these carbon monoxide alarms all on the the counter of the kitchen. They had one in every room, and they went through every room and teared it out of the ceiling and thought that would solve the problem. So I'm just kind of standing. You know how when you're staying with someone that you don't know at all, you're just kind of like... What do I do? Like, what do I say here? Uh, okay, well, yeah. Oh, it's fine. It's fine, you know. And, and I'm like, okay, well, all right. Well, whatever you guys think. You're, you're, the, you're the host. <laughs> and so I, I just went back to my room and I was like, you know what? It would really be bad if I actually died in my sleep because I just didn't have the gall to say anything. So you know what I did? What any courageous Christian would have done? I opened up my window and my bed was next to the window, I stuck my head out of the window and slept like that. Just in case. So here, here's my head out sticking out the window. And eventually the mom comes and knocks on the door and, and she's just a little bit more concerned than her husband is, and that's usually the case. And uh, she comes and she says, hey, we're gonna call the fire department just to be safe. It's fine, um, but you know, you do whatever you're comfortable doing. And I was like, okay, I'm very comfortable leaving this house right now. And so me and the other guy from the college went and sat in our 15 passenger van at two o'clock in the morning and waiting for the fire trucks to get there. She said, I'm not even going to wake up the kids. It's probably nothing, but you guys do whatever you want. And we were like, okay, we're out of here. So we go and we sit in the van, the fire truck pulls up, the firemen go inside, they got their sensor, they're sensing everything inside of this house. And guess what? Guess what was in the house? Carbon monoxide. (laughs) Amazingly enough. I mean, who would have thought? So they're going through and they're saying, you probably need to wake up the kids OK, because carbon monoxide is very heavy gas and the kids were sleeping on the floor. They would have been the first to go. So they say, OK, you need to get the get the kids out of here. And this this uh, that, those are not my words. That's what the fireman told us. OK, and the fireman says, you guys need to get out of here as soon as possible. So they all come in, in the 15 passenger van and we're sitting there until they figure out what was wrong. Their furnace, their new furnace was actually uh, sending out carbon monoxide into the house. And I just had an amazing experience that night, thinking what would have happened if we did not pay attention to the alarm. Student, there's an alarm going off in your heart. It's been going off for a while. Every time the Word of God is open, that alarm is sounding. And I'm not a prophet. I can't tell you what it is. But I can say you need to listen to it. Because that alarm is going to stop eventually. And you're going to get calloused to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. What was the alarm in Zedekiah's life? Verse number 20. Jeremiah said, they shall not deliver thee. He says, would you just get rid of this thought that the Babylonians are going to leave? They shall not deliver thee. Obey, I beseech thee, the voice of the Lord, which I speak unto thee, so it shall be well with thee, and thy soul shall live. Do you hear the anticipation in Jeremiah's voice as he's saying, Zedekiah, just do what God wants you to do. Listen to the alarm. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. This is Zedekiah's last chance. And he blows it. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 21. Jeremiah chapter 21. We're going forward in the chronology. We're going backwards in the book. Zedekiah, verse number one. The word which came into Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah sent into him, Pasher, the son of Melchiah, and Zephaniah, the son of Messiah, the priest. So he sends messengers Again. Again. And, and what do they say? Inquire, I pray thee, of the Lord for us, for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, maketh the war against us. If so be that the Lord will deal with us according to all his wondrous works, that he may go up from us. They say, will you please deliver us? And Jeremiah says, absolutely not. Look at verse number four. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, behold, there is no if then anymore. In verse number four, what does he say? Behold, I will. Turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands. Wherefore, wherewith ye fight against the king of Babylon and against the Chaldeans which besiege you without the walls, and I will assemble them into the midst of this city. The promise is gone. The hope is gone. Zedekiah thought he had all his life to answer the alarm, to answer the call, but now it is too late. Don't reach the point where God's patience runs out, student. When you let your fears hold you back, we see all throughout the Bible, men and women—Cain, uh, Lot's wife, Samson, King Saul, Judas, Demas—all of these men and women throughout the Bible who thought that they had their entire lives to listen to the call of God. Zedekiah is spoiling goes so far that he tells Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter thirty-two, "Just stop preaching." He hates the preaching of God now. You don't have to turn there, but in Jeremiah 32, verse number two, for then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem. They're outside the front door. And Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up saying, wherefore dost thou prophesy? Why are you preaching to me anymore, Jeremiah? I don't want to hear the word of God anymore. And as we close this morning, let's look at what happens. What's the result? Jeremiah chapter 52, and we'll be done. Over and over again, Zedekiah has a chance. but he, is, he does nothing. And I would propose to you that the reason he is called evil and wicked is because it's not because he didn't do any, he, he didn't, do wrong or he did these awful sins. It's because he didn't do anything. He did nothing. Look what happens to him in verse number one. Zedekiah was 120 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 11 years. He had 11 years to answer this call in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. Not the same Jeremiah. And he did that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For through the anger of the Lord, it came to pass in Jerusalem and Judah till he had cast them out from the presence that Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. And it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign in the 10th month, in the 10th day of the month that Nebuchadrezzar, king of Babylon, came, he and all his army against Jerusalem and pitched against it and built forts against it round about. So the city was besieged unto the 11th year of King Zedekiah. And in the fourth month, in the ninth day of the month, the famine was sore in the city so that there was no bread for the people of the land then the city was broken up and there's chaos reigning now and all the men of war fled and went forth out of the city by night by the way of the gate between the two walls which was by the king's garden now the chaldeans were by the city roundabout, and they went by the way of the plain but the army of the chaldeans pursued after the king and overtook zedekiah in the plains of plains of jericho and all his army was scattered from him then they took the king and carried him up into the king of Babylon to Riblah in the land of Hamath, where he gave judgment upon him. And the king of Babylon slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. He slew also the princes of Judah in Ribla. Then he put out the eyes of Zedekiah, and the king of Babylon bound him in chains and carried him to Babylon and put him in prison till the day of his death. The last thing that Zedekiah saw on this earth was the murder of his two sons. What's so frustrating about this passage is it could have been avoided. All of this heartache and pain and chaos could have been avoided if one man would have not let his ears, his peers, or his fears stop him from doing what God had called him to to do. Let's pray.